I want to get things going by introducing Dan Holbrook, who's going to be our first presenter today. I know a lot of you in this room already know Dan, but for those of you who have not yet met him, uh, I'd encourage you to uh, get his email address and find out how to get a hold of him. Uh, he is our Director of Strategic Operations, and uh, he and his wife Peggy have uh, years of ministry uh, experience, pastoral ministry. As you'll hear, I want to get into his presentation. Uh, more than qualified to give not only this conversation, but to lead our network. Uh, what a blessing to me he is as our director of our 10-year strategic plan. I'm going to be talking about this in the closing session today, but he's taking on a monumental task to help uh, steer all of our ministries, our presbytery, all the leaders of the network to keep moving forward and forward and forward, including me. And so I know you're going to uh, really enjoy his ministry. Uh, he not only has experience in the church world, but also in the corporate uh, setting as well, at the highest levels. And we're just thankful that God brought him to Ohio for such a time as this. Would you please welcome Dan Holbrook as he comes to present what God has laid on his heart today. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Pastor John. Uh, today we're uh, hoping to be able to share with you uh, two topics. One is identifying your vision, and the other one is funding it uh, if it needs funding. Uh, today we have uh, handouts if you want to take uh, written notes. They're at the back of the room. We also, if you have the SCED app, you're able to uh, pull exactly the presentation or outline notes off that SCED app. And at the very end today, we will uh, share our email addresses and we'll be glad to email anyone our actual uh, presentation material if you would like that. Uh, the thing that I hear from people a lot of times, uh, they talk about their finances and, oh, we could do some great things if we had so much money. But I don't think, uh, and as I heard uh, Nate uh, Ortiz talk about yesterday, we're not limited or God's not limited by funding everything uh, that's in this universe belongs to God. So I want to take uh, the step of talking to you about identifying your vision. And the, the very first thing you have to do uh, when you identify your vision is you've got to be able to know God's plan. And I could hear a lot of you say, well, how do you know God's plan? You've got to hear from God. And uh, many of us struggle with that sometimes. Uh, hearing God's voice. Uh, I don't know about you, but I hear God in different ways. I read His Word, and that's primarily where I hear from God. I hear from God through other pastors and friends and spiritual uh, mentors. I hear from God just by being out of His creation. Uh, there's times I hear from Him in visions. I've had visions and dreams. But most of the time, it's in that still, small voice that I hear from God. And, and I was thinking that God is always speaking. I think He's always speaking. We just sometimes don't get in a position to hear Him very well. And, and we have to turn and we have to, to listen to that. I'm reminded about uh, how His teaching in Luke chapter 11 and ch uh, chapter 18, He talks about seeking or asking and seeking and finding. And uh, basically the door is going to be open. And I think at times He wants our shameless persistence. The word in the King James is used as importunity, uh, but he wants a persistence from us. And I looked at Habakkuk in the, uh, basically the second and third chapters of Habakkuk, or the first and second chapters, and I want to use that as a, as a piece and a model 
to think about God. Uh, how many of you talk to God? How many of you hear God talk to you? Now, you know, God's about relationship. He's, at times, he even wants us to talk to him when we're complaining. Because at least it's getting us talking to him. And I think of Habakkuk, how he is complaining to God. In the opening uh, chapter, he's telling God about, as if God didn't know, all the problems and the, the toils and the sinfulness of the people. And uh, God speaks. And when God speaks, he begins to say, I'm going to do something you're not going to believe. I'm going to do something so unbelievable. I'm going to have a heathen people basically take you into captivity and you're going to be prophesying these things. And you know what Habakkuk hears? He doesn't really like a whole lot. So he talks to God then again and says, well, God, these people are worse than our people. Why would you be doing this? And, and as the second chapter opens, here's what Habakkuk says. He says, I'm going to go get up on the wall. I'm going to stand up. And I'm going to wait for God to respond to me. And I think there are times where pastors, where you say you don't have vision, you're not hearing from God, you don't know where to go. You haven't got desperate enough. Maybe you haven't complained enough. But I can tell you, when you are in a right position, God is going to speak. So Habakkuk says, I'm going to go up on the wall, and I'm going to listen. And when God begins to speak, he tells him what to do. He tells him to listen. He says, the vision isn't for now. It's for the future, but when it comes, you wait for it, because it surely will happen. And I think that's what we have to grasp, and is there are times where visions that we have from God, plans strategically that we have, God lets us know that timing too. But he says to write it down. He told Habakkuk, go write this down and make sure that that's what's in your spirit. So knowing God's plan is paramount. But I've talked to so many people that actually hear from God. They hear it in their spirit. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt this is what God is saying to them, but they're hesitant. They're hesitant because if they would speak it out, if they would declare it to their congregation, if they declare it to their leadership, they wonder, if it doesn't happen, then I'm going to be labeled. But I believe that we as a people, and we're, we're focusing this on lead pastors. I'm not asking you if you're not a lead pastor to go back and challenge your lead pastor. Because your lead pastor is the one that is the visionary. He's the one that should be hearing from God. Don't you want a man or woman of God to hear from God? If they're going to lead you, don't you want them to hear? But you want them to declare that too. And I think there are times where we do not declare or share with the people what God has said. I think uh, John, as he first uh, uh, met me and was around me in the, uh, the place I was pastoring, he came into the church where I was at. It was a little church, uh, very few people. And I had blown up a plan of what God said to me. And I put it on the wall. I put it before the people. And I said, this is what God said. And I know he had to think this, this poor foolish man, he doesn't understand where he's at. But I heard from God, and I declared that. I heard this story from Scott Wilson. Uh, Pastor John and I were at a seminar where he was at, and he was telling about what he had heard from God. And whether he shared his full vision or not, he met with his board, and he talked to his board about hearing from God. He says, I want all of you to go back and pray, and come back and tell me what God said. And, and four or five of them heard something very awesome, and they began to share it. Two of them said, we're not hearing anything. 
He says, that's okay. Let's go back and pray again. And a week later, or whatever the time period was, they came back again. Uh, one of them heard something. The other one said, we still haven't heard anything. He said, that's okay. We're going to be unified. You know, it's important that if we hear from God that all of us are carrying this vision toward the future. And over a period of time, I don't know how long this went on, eventually the one man that hadn't heard anything came back and said, I've heard from God. And he became a stakeholder. He became a visionary. Well, it was necessary in the future because they did a, a $20 million uh, project in their sanctuary. And toward the very end of the project, there was a million-dollar overrun. Now, a pastor, to have a million-dollar overrun with your church, that's devastating. And there's times where your leader even gets to the place where they start toiling and, and thinking, God, I failed you. I've done something wrong. I'm going to bring a reproach to your name. And he brought his board together, the ones that had said they heard from God. And he began to tell them, you know, woe is me. This is a problem. We, we, what are we going to do? And the man that was the last to hear from God put his arm on him and he says, we heard from God. This is what God said. God will take care of it. In a, I mean, in a matter of days, that was resolved. The, the money was there and he didn't have to worry about it. But I'm telling you, when you hear from God... It's an important thing, knowing his plan, but declaring it too. And when your leadership and you have come into agreement, you need to be able to go to your church and say, this is what God is saying for, to us, for us. And you need to begin to put that into practice. You need to have that agreement. And you need to begin to say, this is our plan. And uh, what I wanted to share with that consensus buy-in is you have to understand where you're at. Now, a lot of us can say, well, I've got this great dream, but I don't even know where I'm at. And uh, in business, we did what we called a situation analysis, knowing the, the condition, the current situation. You know, sometimes we're not very honest with each other. We tell all the other, well, we're doing great. We just got spirit moving in our church. We got this happening. We got this happening. In reality, you're thinking, you know, I don't want to tell the people the measurement of really what God's showing me. Now, there may be some great things happening. But there's some uh, deficiencies, too. And so with that, in a business model, we, when I was working with Honda, we would take from SQCD, E&M, or, you know, safety, quality, cost, manpower, environment, all those kind of things. And I thought, how can I push this into the church world to where I can understand it? So I began to look in a church environment. It could be the physical condition or the appearance of your facility or your property. Maybe that's what the safety side would look like. And I, I went through this process and tried to identify what each of those items were and be really real with myself. That's how I started. I wanted to know, I, didn't want, I wanted to know the history of the church. I wanted to understand what the people were like, the culture. And so I took the, what I learned in the business world and I put it into practice. And, and I do have this available if any of you need it. But with this, this uh, situation, I made a simple chart. This is how we were taught strategic planning. It is so elementary that a first grader could do it. But basically, we take a measurable growth chart or line and a timeline. I have to understand, you know, on paper, he told Habakkuk, write it down so that people can understand it. I made this simple chart of growth. You know, when we started as a church, we had about 20 people. And the timeline, you know, when I'm trying to put a timeline, within five years, God, this is what you're going to do. 
I watched in five years and God did every one of those things because he had spoken those to my heart. So the current situation, you know, allow the base of that timeline, and I'll show you here on the next slide, allow that base to include the low-hanging fruit, things that are good in the church, good in your vision that God's already told you, you do very well. Sometimes we try to pick up all of our deficiencies and we don't accentuate the things that God is really good in us. And we need to build on those things too. So we need to inspire that. You know, when I hear from God, I go to the scripture. And I try to find a scripture that God can allow me to hold on to, that I can say, God, this is where you're at. You know, when we first were, I made my first five-year plan at our church, I, I understand what God had told me. He spoke to me in, in the book of Jeremiah where uh, Jeremiah in faith went out and bought a field, you know, with no hope of someone having ownership of that or whatever. But God told him to go do that. And God resonated that in me and I spoke that to our people and I put that as our base to buy a, buy a field. And we were able to do that. And I see today on a four-lane highway that through three construction projects, God has answered that vision within me, but it was driven by that scripture. So I'm, so I'm saying at the very base, you put, you know, your situation, your real situation, where it's at, and then you try to understand what is your ideal situation? What's God telling you? Is, is God telling you that you can save your entire county, or he can save your entire county, your community? You know, launch churches overseas, or what, what's he saying to you? Because if God says that he's not a liar, He'll bring it to pass. But he's waiting on you as a vessel to see if you have enough faith to step out there and do it. So from that ideal situation, whatever that might be, uh, to us in the last five years I was there, my, my dream was that we would launch satellite worship places, churches across the world. Not only in the community we were in, but uh, 30 miles away, but also in England. I finished my management courses in London, England, and God spoke to me that you're to plant a church in England. I haven't seen that happen yet, but I'm still expecting it to take place. So determine what that ideal situation is. And mine was to reproduce satellite worship centers around the world. This is in my second five-year plan. So the current situation, we couldn't have done it. But the ideal, there's a big gap between the current and the ideal. So you have to begin to plan. And you've got to ask God, what do we need? How do I get from here to there? I heard our General Superintendent Doug Clay preach in our uh, network conference here a few years ago, getting from here to there. You know, it's hard knowing how to get from there to there, but you take steps, don't you? Just step at a time. And I think it has to be intentional to take those in-between steps. So you take a, you say, this is where we're at, and right now we can take this first step. God, I'm believing you for that because you've already told me this is what my dream is, and then a year from now or two years from now, I'm going to take a second step, and I'm going to take a third step. And I believe that's how God works with us. He takes it, he just don't flood you with the, the water hose, but he gives you and breathes into you vision because some of your people can't, grasp the whole piece, but they want to know how they fit into it. And so what I was able to do is to show you a couple examples that I actually used uh, with our people in the second five years I was pastoring. I said that 
You know, humans can only repro uh, reproduce or grow human life. But the Spirit reproduces spiritual life and salvations and things like that. So that was the scripture that I used. I wanted more of a missions focus and, and then missions expansion. And I wanted to see missionaries, like I said, even into England. I had a conversation with Pastor John this past week. He was telling me a phenomenal story about one of our pastors in London, England, and how now he's the superintendent of all Great Britain. Uh, I, I, I was uh, just fascinated with the place that there could be a link now that maybe I could still see that happen in London, England. But there's a lot of pieces that are going to have to happen over those five years to even realize that. There's got to be a lot of leaders put in place. There's got to be a lot of expansion of what we already have to be able to, to realize that kind of a dream. So I tried to break it down even by year. It just understanding that first year we're going to do more outreach and assimilation and fellowship and discipleship and missions. You know, we were getting to the place where we were good at what we were doing. We had many leaders in the church. I never was really good at this, and that was mobilizing my leaders. I, I like building up because I was used to. That was the model the other pastor showed me. This was my first pastor. Just build up. I had 10 credentialed ministers in the church at one time, and I wanted to keep them all. And I was thinking God was happy with that. That wasn't the model that he wanted. To mobilize, to assimilate people in and allow the flow of people out. And uh, so as we were moving through this, I was looking at not only using a training center for youth and, and to have uh, like an emerge outpost even in our community. I found out that as a pastor, I was the least capable of counseling people in some severe matters because once I did, I invaded their life so much that what I preached from the pulpit it was hard for them to know whether this is about me or did God give you this. And I realized the Christian counseling was such a big part of me being able to see that vision grow. And so I intentionally began to put those pieces into place. And as I said, you know, the last two, I, I left the church. And I'm still hoping, I'm, I'm still going to encourage the current pastor that's there to plant that church 30 miles away. I believe that's what God wanted. And I still want to see a family leave our church, leave that church. And go to London, England, where the gospel was propagated and brought to us and changed the environment of a hopeless society. So, uh, once you've heard from God, you've declared and received consensus, it's important. You don't need people in your leadership team going different ways. Challenge them to hear what God is saying to you. You may speak what God said to you already, but you may have to wait and let God incubate that in them. And then you confirm it. And then you can go together. Buy in with your leadership as well as clearly identify what you need. And then in faith, if it requires money, let me look at the time here. In faith, I use the word tithe your need. You know, there's, there's times where we have big projects that we want God to do. You want him to, to fund money for. And Pastor John is going to share that piece here in just a few moments. But it's really important where you walk in faith. I've watched our network do that. I've watched how Tanzania became a part of our faith. But I had to do this for myself. And uh, we had built our first building. And I thought, uh, God, we need another building. And we needed a place of fellowship and all. And we had the monies that we thought we did. And 
Uh, we thought everything would be well and the financing, anything that we needed was in place. And the architect that we got didn't have the ability that we thought they needed. And that architect was short on being able to get us uh, exempt from a fire suppression system, which was going to cost us $300,000 more. And that wasn't in our budget. And as a pastor, I felt like, God, you said this. And I'm leading our people the wrong way. And now we've got a $300,000 deficit. And I was really uh, saying, okay, to the architect, we're going to just cut our losses. We'll pay you what we owe you. And they said, oh, no. <laughs> you can't just walk away because in the fine print, you owe us a minimum of $30,000 just to walk away. And they'd only done a few hours' work. And I thought, wow, I, I know business better than that. I didn't judge the situation very well. And I sit in a speed to light a service on a Saturday morning in our church. And I said, God, I failed these people. I'm going to cost them $30,000. I'm going to have to take out a own bank account because I'm not going to put that burden on them. But I said, or, and I start thinking of all the things, God, you can't do or you won't do or I've missed. And God began to ask me, do you want to give it to me or do you want to give it to them? And I thought, what? What's that? And we had a board member that was sitting kind of close to me and I said, you know, and I called him by name and I said, God just told me that I need to give that $30,000 to speak the light. And I don't know whether the rest of the board would agree to that or anything. And you, I want you to understand, we were not a board-controlled church. They all came to the church because they were following the vision that God had given me. And he says, I'll stand with you. We said, we'll just tell the rest of them, we'll give $30,000. So we did that day. The board all agreed and within a few days, God changed the situation where that architect company said, we'll just cut the losses. You can move on. You don't owe us anything. We were able to build the building. We didn't have to pay the $300,000. We got the we got eradicated the fire suppression system. And the kingdom of God, through speed to light, was able to get $30,000. I thought, God, you knew what my need was. But in faith, I had to step out. And I would challenge some of you, there are times you know what God has said to you. You know, you don't barter with God. You don't play games with Him. You don't, you know, it's, it's not that uh, super spiritual, you know, name it, claim it stuff. But what it is is, God, I have a need, and I'm going to trust you. You're going to meet the need, and I'm giving it to you in advance. You know, there's a praise called the Todah praise. It's a praise of expectation, of worship ahead of the answer. And I think we have to think of that, and we have to do that more. But in strategically planning... You know, know what God is saying. Understand what He's saying. Share it with your leaders. Make sure your leaders have bought in. Write your plan down. Know where you're at at the beginning and know where you're going to go and set those steps. And then, toward God, have faith that He's going to, to answer that need. I'm going to ask Pastor John if he would come at this time. He's going to, if you have a financial need that would be driven out of your, your vision, uh, he has some really good suggestions of how to, uh, to capture uh, that vision with a, with a plan for financing it. All right. Thank you, Dan. And again, at the end of the session, you'll have Dan's email address. Uh, I could go on and on. Uh, some of you in the room have seen the end result of this vision uh, so far. How many of you have been to Wapakoneta and you've seen the beautiful facility they have? All you need to do is drive on Route 33 when you have a couple hours and go west. What you really need to do to appreciate that, though, is see the former building, which Dan did not go into a lot of detail to describe that. It was an older, 
mainline denomination building, a very small building downtown where the tremendously large oversized pipe organ was half the size of the sanctuary. And the only parking spaces were two parking spaces on the street. They built a building with no parking lot of any kind, just two parking spaces on the street. That all that the church had. And so anybody who came there had to park sometimes, you know, blocks away if they were if anything else downtown was going on. And so when he makes fun of me, but it's right, it makes for a great story. I was there that night when there were two parking spaces in front of the church and I saw one of those screens, only it was full of all the things they were going to do, these less than 20 people over the next five years, including a building on a four-lane highway uh, that was going to seat hundreds of people. And I'm, I'm, I was excited, but I'm like, how, how are you going to do this? And sure enough, uh, five years later, they were out there. It's just, it's just amazing. So great story and uh, everything Dan just told you. Absolutely true, and thank you, Dan, for that. So what I want to share with you today is some encouragement. Um, I hope that you understand every Synergy session. Uh, part of it is just your ideas. Not every single line on a screen that you're going to see today is going to apply 100% to your setting. Uh, but hopefully it'll get the juices going. And just even if you don't follow all the steps that Dan or I have outlined, just the thought that a light bulb went off. And maybe we'll do some of that, but there also is this. That's very helpful sometimes just to realize you are not alone when it comes to uh, having a burden to see funding for the vision that God is uh, giving to you. I will just say, as you already know, but if you know, around the room, I'm sure you see some friends, uh, people that you know. We have some lead pastors here, and we have some folks who are not necessarily lead pastors, but they're on the leadership teams of their churches. And so there is a mixture here. Um, I would hope that those who are not lead pastors do not take the notes from this section, uh, this session today, back to your lead pastor and wave them in front of his or her nose and say, here's the plan, now go do it, right? So thank you, we're taking a little risk here, you understand, right? But uh, we understand. So let me uh, jump in here. What I'm going to share with you is really just some steps that were given to us. Uh, it's part of Dan's presentation, which is is the identifying the direction you're heading and then watching as God does uh, some miraculous. And one of the things that he did for us, for the Ohio Ministry Network, is he threw some things in our lap that we could not have put together. And one of them was uh, me being invited because of a board that I'm on to, to sit down for a session. I didn't even know what it was about. And I was thinking at the same time about the Ohio Ministry Network's fundraising vision to, uh, that you're hearing more and more about, especially at Heartland. And how are we going to do this? And I know the last time we built something, we hired a consultant and all this. And with all of that in my mind, uh, they say, and now our next presenter is coming and he is he's going to help us understand how to uh, how our organization, the board that I was on, is going to raise uh, almost $6 million. And this is what he does for a living. And he has raised, helped churches raise uh, almost a uh, billion dollars uh, over the years and so this is what that organization had paid a lot of money for and here it was being presented and so I got my laptop out and everybody around me was wondering what in the world are you doing? I was just taking notes like this is free I can't believe this and so I'm going to share with you today uh, some things that may or may not apply to you but just so you can understand I think it's going to open your mind once you get that vision um, this is not about that vision this that's what Dan's presentation was about this is once you know, and some of you are thinking about it, some of you, you've already started down that road, 
Um, this is about some steps, some practical steps to take to increase the likelihood that funding your vision is actually going to happen with success. And I can't tell you uh, how much my heart beats for pastors and leaders of our churches. Um, I hope, if nothing else, that you sense, as I said earlier, you're not this alone. And so even though it's an uphill climb for you uh, and your leaders to properly and effectively and sufficiently fund the vision that God's giving you, just to know that you're not alone, that you're going to hear more and more churches who are doing the same thing. And folks, just uh, forget Christianity and our faith for a second. Uh, just the times that we're living in, compared to 10 years ago, there, there, is, there are more resources, more resources out there, period, right now. And this is the time, uh, not that God can't and not that he doesn't, uh, he does it very effectively during times that are much leaner. It just gives him all the more glory. But why not strike while the iron is hot? And so maybe a campaign is not what you were thinking about because, well, we don't need a new building. Uh, but folks, this is the time, especially with a vision, to get that thing funded so that you are ready two years from now and five years from now when the next move comes in, wherever that might be, and you're going to say, oh, I'm so glad that we got our, our, our team together, that we were focused on moving this forward. So hopefully this will be uh, helpful to you. Uh, the first one is why a financial campaign? And there's uh, several reasons for that. Number one, it's to rally givers around an urgent, a pressing goal. That's why you need a campaign, is to rally them and, and not just go week after week and month after month, but it gets everybody together and to agree, uh, we're going to uh, move this thing forward. Number two, to rise above the familiar or the ordinary. This is not routine. Uh, folks, if we're going to achieve the vision that God has for us, we cannot afford, and of course this is spiritual as well as financial, but we cannot afford to just think this is another routine Sunday in our ministry. Uh, the time is now for us to do something special. Number three, to meet an unusually high financial goal. That's certainly a reason to have a campaign. And then number four, to advance what seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That's a great reason to have a financial campaign when you know that God has spoken, as Dan was talking earlier, you have the direction, the vision, uh, we need to strike while the iron is hot because this is a special time when we all in our setting, whatever that is, feel like the Holy Spirit is smiling and our hearts are smiling too. All right. So there are seven key components of success that I want to just highlight for you today. Uh, and again, there are probably more than this, but these would be some basic ones to make sure you and your, your key leaders uh, have agreed on. Number one, the reputation of trust and achievement. All right. So you, uh, with a vision, with the track record that you have, whether it's a year now or whether it's 10 years, hopefully your ministry and your leadership and the way God has confirmed this is the vision. Uh, if you have a reputation of trust and achievement, that, that is currency, that is collateral. It's something that needs to be seized upon and, and used for the advancement of the kingdom. Why? Because number one, your large givers are investors. Uh, people who have means want to invest something that has a track record of producing fruit. It's going to be a good return on their investment. Not that they're going to get money back, but because you have that kind of reputation. Your ministry has established a record of achievement. People who have the ability to give, especially large givers, want to give to things that are going to be good investments. Secondly, givers want to join a winning cause. 
not a salvage effort. Uh, most of the time, the campaigns to say, well, we're saddled in debt and the ship is sinking, so let's all get together and give. Uh, that is, can be effective, <laughs> but the most effective way is when people realize we're moving forward. We're not trying to salvage this thing, but God has showed us a vision, a vision about people, about the future, about the miraculous. People want to give to that. And then they also want to be partners, uh, not just donors. And so it's a way to increase your tent, uh, not just to raise the finances, but long after the campaign has completed, you not only have givers, but you have people who sense that this is a place where I can get involved and feel like I'm part of a team, like the body of Christ is supposed to function. Secondly, uh, a key component of a successful campaign is having qualified and capable givers. Um, we, we wish these folks were more plentiful than what they are, but nonetheless, uh, God will always uh, provide the provision for the vision he gives us. And so they're there. Uh, number one, because they understand how money comes in. Uh, you will have a group of people uh, to help fund your vision who understand how things work. And we all wish we had hundreds of these people, but the ones that do understand that you need money to be fruitful. You need resources to be able to maximize the vision that God has given you. Uh, secondly, it's important to judge ahead of time, if possible, the capacity and the propensity. Uh, it says here, top 50. Well, in your setting, it might be the top five. I realize that. In maybe larger settings, it might be the top 100. But, but every campaign needs to kind of understand as we move forward, in advance, who are the people who have the capability and the likelihood, the propensity, to want to fund something like this and for those folks to be identified up front is going to be helpful to the success of your campaign. And then come to terms early on with the importance of the ask. All right? Uh, somebody, uh, usually it's the leader, the visionary, the pastor, we'll talk about that. Uh, the individual or the team, it, it has to be uh, something that you are okay with. There are going to be uncomfortable moments of making the ask, uh, especially if that stretches you. Now, I said uncomfortable. There are people who are so wired that they don't mind at all. They, they, love, they don't mind getting turned down. You know, they're you know, the uh, perennial salesman. I need 30 no's before I get the yes, and so I'll keep doing those no's and I'll eventually get a yes. But if that stretches you, and if you are the leader of your ministry, you're the pastor, whatever that might be, you have to come to terms with that on the front end. If you're going to do a campaign, there are going to be key moments when you're going to have to put yourself out there individually and in front of a lot of people to ask and to keep asking and to keep asking so that people understand clearly the vision and the opportunities uh, that, that God is providing to seize the day. And then finally, if we're not faithfully and appropriately doing the ask and doing it well, we need to understand on the front end that is going to have consequences. All right, so, so if we get down the road six months or two years and we look back and realize there weren't those moments when the leader, when our campaign was making the key ask, uh, we shouldn't be surprised now uh, that we didn't maybe have the success that we had hoped. So you really need to come to terms with that important uh, part of it. Some of you are okay with that, others are like, I know and that's why I don't want to do it. But it's something that is non-negotiable, has to, has to happen. Uh, for the ask, it's important to set the bar high. And why is that? Uh, because there are folks who are, are waiting to give. I'm on another board just this week. 
I'm amazed. I've been seeing the emails, and some of our key leaders were going to another state to make the ask. And uh, it, it was for a pro-life cause. And we've been praying about this for years, really. It's been in the works, and, and finally the time was right. And our leaders were keeping the rest of us updated via email and saying that they were going to ask this key family for several million dollars, maybe up to three million dollars, to help fund a very worthwhile initiative. And so we were all praying that that would happen. We came back and got the report, opened up our email box the next day, and they said, well, uh, we didn't set the bar high enough. Um, they asked for a few minutes, they went out of the room, talked together as leaders, then came back in and said, this thing doesn't need three million, it needs nine million. And so we want to step it up and we want to give you nine million dollars. How many of you say amen to that Lord? <laughs> let it be, Lord, let it be, let it be, right? So it's important. People will surprise us. God will surprise us. You've heard it over and over again. You've experienced it. Sometimes the people who seem like the least likely to be the vessels that God would use to bless are the ones that surprise us the most. So it's important to set the bar high. Uh, to Yes, our adherents, but there's also people in the community. There are even people who don't go to our churches, who, who are going to be great instruments, and if you're okay with it, there's going to be even people who aren't Christians who want to give from time to time when they hear about the vision of what you're doing. Are we all in favor of that? It's in our bylaws. We can accept unsaved money. We're welcome to do that. All right, it's not a violation. So we need to set the bar high and then make sure we set it, by not, set it high not only for our adherents, for the community. Get out there, and of course, hopefully you're not doing this by yourself, but everybody involved in the campaign needs to be loud and proud. What we're going to do is going to change this community. When we build that building, when we get to this threshold, when we make this improvement, we're going to be able to minister and reach and change so many lives. Um, so do not set the bar too low. Make sure you uh, leave room for God to, to move. Number three, a detailed plan. This is, this is very critical. Uh, organization of advancement and communication teams, plural. So like many things in uh, pastoral ministry, this cannot be done by the pastor, his or herself. Um, it, it has to be a team. And, and so you need to get people who are going to help you from the communication end. There are people who are good on social media, people who are skilled in putting a coherent sentence together uh, to get the communication out, to, to keep it on schedule so that we don't go by three or four weeks, three or four months. Oh, we didn't get anything out, right? So communication, but also then the advancement teams, uh, getting, getting out there, making the meetings, setting appointments, and, and getting a plan. Uh, there needs to be a time frame. Uh, a certain end date. This can't be, we're going to try to raise money, so let's all do it, and, and no specific time frame uh, involved. For example, what we're doing right now with All Things Are Possible, there's a, there's a goal in May. There's a goal by the end of 2020. We have to set a specific time. Telling our story well in print, in website, video, uh, live events, all of that, that just has to be understood. This is not going to work unless we are ready to tell the story over and over again. Uh, turn to your neighbor and say, leaders are repeaters. Say that. Leaders are repeaters. You've got to say it over and over and over again. Even when you think you're insulting people's intelligence, uh, the leader and this team, uh, whoever the team is, it could be, in some cases, a team of 10, 15, 20 people or more, depending on the size of the campaign and the scope, 
and everybody on that team has got to tell the story in their own in their own way over and over again. And then there needs to be a solicitation strategy that that leads with the good news. We're going to need a lot of people. We're going to need to solicit a lot of help, and so let's lead with the good news so that we get as many people involved as possible. All right, I'm going to move on. There's so much that could be said about each one of these, but for sake of time, I need to keep going. Number four, coordinated movement and direction. All right, this is important. Successful campaigns start and move from the inside out. All right, we don't start socializing this thing uh, and then have board members find out later that we're going to do something like this, right? That's not going to end well. Uh, for a number of reasons. We're going to lose the support of key stakeholders who deserve to not only be informed, but hopefully to have part in the conversation. And it's going to look awkward when key people are not informed before other people. Uh, and that's going to, it's going to instantly uh, send a message that this thing has not been led or orchestrated well. From the inside out, the board uh, first, the staff, and then the teams, all right? All these key stakeholders, and Dan referenced that a few moments ago, it's just non-negotiable. They've got to be on board. Secondly, up first and then down. Go to some of your best prospects first because when you get leaders on board, when you get key givers, that inspires confidence when it gets out to the rest of the ranks that this thing has momentum. I want to get in on that because look, all those other people are already getting on. So go up, down, and then from quiet to public. In an ideal world, uh, it would be helpful to get as much of your pledges and campaign raised before you even go public. So by the time that it goes public, people realize, oh, this thing is already halfway done. Uh, so much better than, can you imagine doing all these the opposite direction? Starting by announcing it to the public first and then doing the board, uh, going to the, the, the smallest donors first and then trying to work your way up. Uh, it just, it wouldn't make sense. And then knowledge before involvement. People have got to be informed, they've got to hear the good story, they've got to be sold on it before they're going to want to say, okay, I'm going to give my time uh, to help. All right, this is really applicable for a lot of things that we do in leadership of our churches. Number five, uh, sharing the success for everybody. A key question for everybody leading the campaign is how do you build anticipation and excitement among your larger family? All right, how can we do this campaign and as a result have everybody who feels even remotely a part of what we're doing, they all feel like, man, we're winning. I'm proud. I'm excited. It's a blessing for me to get to be associated with this type of winning, life-changing campaign. So a question related to that is how do we rally the current givers? There's a way to do that. We have to understand that people have been giving faithfully, uh, not because they need to be massaged or manipulated. It's just the right thing to do to, with that crowd, say, man, thank you for your generosity. We wouldn't even be here without you, and now we're going to ask you to give even more. A specific targeted message toward those folks is, is very appropriate and very effective. Secondly, how about the lapsed givers? For whatever reason, we have people in our ranks who, who just kind of faded off. We don't hear from them anymore. Perhaps this new vision uh, will we'll entice them to say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm sorry that I stopped giving and this is exactly what I'd like to come back. Then there are new givers, people who are even in our ministries and churches, they just haven't been giving 
And very often when you talk about how you're going to change the life of somebody they can relate to, somebody in your neighborhood, a life here in your city, your state, that can get people who've just been on the fences to jump on board. And then, of course, there's brand new friends. Again, people in our churches, uh, people who, who are looking for something like this to be a part of, and even people, as I said, who might not even be believers, but they want to be a friend of your ministry. Shared success for all. Make everyone feel like this is a big win. Everybody wants to be on a winning team. All right? And then thank well. We have seven of these. This is number six. Thank well. How do we thank well? Uh, we thank promptly. So when that pledge card comes in, that email, that response, and again, pastors, hear me, you can't do all this by yourself. That's why you're going to have to have a team. All right? So when, when we get donations to our Heartland campaign, I'm not, I'm not taking care of that. I mean, when you get a letter from me and it has my signature, yes, it came from me, but it really didn't. All right? So <laughs> I'm, you guys are the only ones. This is our secret. All right? So we've got, I can't do it all. Right? We've got to have a team of people who's going to respond and thank promptly and thank repetitively, often, uh, a variety, not just an email. Uh, do something that captures attention. That's a challenge, but we have even ministries right here uh, in this room who are represented, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a challenge to be creative, but man, that does pay dividends when you catch people's attention and say thank you in a different way than you did last month. And it also needs to be sustained over a long period of time. So if you're not willing to do this, then don't do a campaign. Uh, you've got to have the people in place who are going to help you make sure this ministry thanks people promptly, does it often, does it with variety, and does it over a sustained period of time so that no one who invests precious funds even has a risk of feeling like their gift wasn't appreciated or noticed. All right, and then number seven, I mentioned this earlier, a successful campaign is not just going to help you reach the financial goal, but it's going to help you gain friends over a lifetime. Uh, most ministries that are moving forward, if they've been around for any length of time, would quickly say uh, there was more than one campaign that we had to have. We had to have that first campaign to get in the door, but then a couple of years later we had to have the next campaign. And as God continues to, to give vision, then we should expect that he's going to provide, but it's going to require repeated efforts. And so when we do our campaigns well, it not only helps us meet the current goals and challenges, but it already sets us up for success for the next one that will inevitably come because we didn't just gain donors, we gained friends for a lifetime. This campaign that you're in, that's a great statement, it's the battle, it's not the war. This campaign, this challenge that you're facing is just the battle for now. It's not the whole war, and that's why it's good to keep the end game in mind. The key question then is how do we bridge key partners that we're talking about here into a deeper, long-term affinity with the organization. That is something that we'll be so grateful for five years from now and ten years from now that, that they're already on board because they know how well they were treated and how much of a win it felt the first time around. Alright, let's move on here in conclusion uh, to talk about some key roles. Alright, the first one I mentioned earlier, the visionary, the pastor. Who is the chief fundraising officer of your local church? It is unquestionably the visionary, the pastor. And uh, the pastor cannot do it by his or herself. I've said that several times. Uh, but it does not work when you have uh, team members who are doing all the heavy lifting. It has to be that face that everyone uh, trusts and understands as the person that is leading the vision that God has given us. 
There is one big question for that visionary, for the pastor. If possible, if the campaign has not yet started, uh, ask yourself, how are you going to reprioritize your time, reprioritize your attention, reprioritize your leadership in order for this campaign to succeed? Because as the visionary, it will not succeed unless you're able to give the necessary time and effort and bandwidth. Um, and again, I'll be the first to say, I don't feel gifted to do that. I don't feel like that's my, my first calling per se, but it's, it's just non-negotiable. And so when you do have the right team uh, doing a lot of the heavy lifting, it enables the visionary to be out in front but so much of what Dan said earlier uh, makes that job easier as well. Once the pastor knows that everybody, all the key stakeholders, the board, the staff, their team is all in favor of this, that, that makes the visionary's job so much easier. So if you are not that person, let me tell you, uh, there is no dollar value that could be placed on the role you could play to make sure that the team is unified. If you can help that lead pastor by, by, by circumventing, uh, going in front of and solving some of these things, if your radar is up, I, I think in that board meeting that Joe didn't act like he was all that excited. Let me, let me go talk to Joe because we can't have our pastor going public and behind the scenes there's people on the team who aren't that excited. So don't underestimate the value that everybody plays, but in terms of giving and, and moving the vision forward, the pastor has to be ready to do that. All right. Uh, then the advancement and communication teams. Uh, when you're in a campaign, it is all hands on deck. There are seasons, there are ebbs and flow to ministry, and when it's campaign time, all hands on deck. And if you just can't, or you have somebody who wants to help out, but they don't have the, the freedom and the margins, then really, that's not something you want to sign them up for during the campaign, because it is intense and is not meant to be normal for the rest of their lives. But for the campaign season, it is, it is everybody all in. Uh, sharpening our focus as, as workers and as volunteers and, and team members uh, who are part of the campaign, we've all got to be bringing our A-game and listening and, and, and gaining perspective from the audience and, and bringing that to the table where decisions are made. Staying on schedule. That's critical. It sounds so perfunctory, but it's absolutely essential that we stay on schedule so that we don't do things that look like they were uh, backward or not thought of. Make sure somebody is in charge of celebrating victories. That's, that's one person's job. You've got one thing to do. Who is that person? The victories have got to be told over and over again and celebrated. When you reach milestones in the campaign, when there are testimonies, uh, learn from setbacks because there will be disappointments. Uh, so already be, be okay with that. Uh, you know, when you're in the campaign, you're going to hit some bumps along the way. Every campaign does. Don't let that discourage you or derail you. Learn from them and say, okay, what did we learn? And often, especially as it involves people and potential donors, when you demonstrate a capacity to listen, to adjust, to pivot, that builds confidence. So don't make a mistake on purpose, but if it happens, uh, in God's economy, very often, if we respond the right way, it still builds confidence and moves the campaign forward. And then finally, involve everyone possible in the campaign. There's a role that everybody, men, women, boys and girls, uh, people who are around the inner circle and people who are on the fringes, there's, there's a role that everybody can play, and the more leaders that get involved, the better. Uh, the board has a key role to play. They need to lead as givers. 
if they're on the board, if they're making decisions, uh, then that goes with the territory. Board members must be all in. They also need to do uh, a lot of the leaders' work for them and engage others, bring in part partners. The fundraising milestone I told you about a few moments ago, about millions of dollars, that came because one of our board members was faithful to, to nurse the contacts that she had, and it took time, but it was finally the right time. That was a board member who brought in the largest gift this organization had received that wasn't the leader. Uh, take responsibility for the outcome. How do we do that? Well, uh, we, the next few items are encouragement and prayer. If they're on the board of your ministry, on the board of your church, uh, this goes hand in hand with being a team member during this critical time. We're all responsible. It's not the pastor's job. It's all of our jobs to do this together. Uh, and then finally, uh, some closing comments. If you don't have an urgent reason for a campaign, then absolutely don't do one, all right? So uh, if, there's, if everything's going fine, there's no pressing need right now, then save this for a year from now or two years from now when it is there because you need to have that urgency in order to get people to do extraordinary uh, giving, all right? So be, be uh, encouraged by that. Secondly, uh, God does do it all. He gets all the glory. He does everything. He supplies all the funds, but he expects something of us, right? He does it all. It's all his, but he still expects us to do our something. And that's important for everybody who's part of your church and ministry to understand we're all going to need to do our part. God's going to get the glory. He's going to provide what we could not do on our own, but we all have got to have a stake in this game. And then Proverbs 21, 31 says, The horse is made ready for battle, but the victory rests with the Lord. And we swing back now to the beginning of this, and that is, if the vision, the direction is coming as a result of God's Spirit speaking into you, then He is the provision God, just as He is the vision God, right? And so we do trust in Him. Uh, God uh, can do it all, but He needs us to do our part. Uh, God, God is the, the uh, owner of the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the king of kings. He owns everything. Uh, but many times, even though he can do it, he won't do it uh, because he sees some people who need to respond in a more biblical way and a more team way to give him the glory and everybody doing their part. So uh, be encouraged by that. God, who has given you the vision, will also give you the provision. You see here, as I mentioned earlier, some email addresses, Dan Holbrook, uh, dholbrook at ohioministry.net, and then uh, funding your vision is also dholbrook at ohioministry.net. All right, I'm kidding. That's my email address, john at ohioministry.net. I would love to talk to you. All right, I have no idea what time it is. What time is it? Four minutes till two. All right, so here's what we wanted to do. Two things if we have time. We want to pray, all right? I'm looking at a room full of people today, and if God accomplishes in you what he sent you there to do, then not only is your community going to be changed and transformed, but Ohio is going to be a better place. So I'm just chomping at the bit to pray for you right now, because what you're going to do is going to make a difference in many, many lives, and together it's going to change the state. So we want to do that, but we also want to allow time for a question or two. Uh, if there's anything that uh, wasn't stated as clearly as possible, again, we tried to go as fast as we could. Or it maybe brought up another question, either for Dan or myself.
Any questions? Any clarification we can provide? Can I say one thing? Yes, ma'am, please. You know, when you're hearing from God and He gives you vision toward the future, maybe you've got facilities already. You don't need to worry about funding additional buildings and things, but maybe He's telling you to retire in debt mm -hmm. and to make yourself uh, debt-free so that you can fund planning two churches three years from now or four years from now. So if He's speaking those things, there may be reasons other than your immediate need at your church there could be that you need to be free from that so you could do the bigger vision that's laying out ahead of you. How many of you have been, we all, this of course, inevitably, we talk about buildings because it's the easiest thing visually to imagine, but there's many other things besides just buildings. How many of you have been to Calvary Church in Toledo? You've seen that facility, all right? So that's exactly what Dan just said. Uh, years ago, our general superintendent, Doug Clay, was the pastor. And uh, he left the church and became the Ohio superintendent and went on to Missouri. And the new pastor, Chad Gilligan, uh, was just overwhelmed and overcome by this burden. Even though they had a beautiful facility, you know, the Calvary Assembly of God's facility, he just was burdened to get debt free. And so uh, he was able to rally the troops and, and didn't know what was next, but just knew they, were, they needed to retire about $3 million in debt. And you know, as they were doing that, God miraculously opened up the door for them to move into a multiplex movie theater. The facility, the location, it's off the charts. It's off the charts uh, compared to where they were, and they would not have been able to do that had they not in that season, when they already had a very sufficient building, said it's time to get rid of this debt. So I just underscored that with a big amen. Any other questions or comments? Any, any, re any reaction to something that just sounds so tough, so challenging, or so confirming? Any, any reactions you have to what you saw today? Yes, sir. John, I was interested, Dan, that when you, uh, you said you were praying, you prayed for, about how long are we talking about your process of going from, I've come to pastor this church until I got this, and what would that timeline look like? I was an interim pastor, and you're not supposed to take the church you're an interim pastor for. But from uh, March 31st to November 11th, when I was elected as their pastor, uh, God was speaking into my heart. But by December the 7th, within three weeks of me being the pastor, God had already spoke to me, and I laid that plan out within three weeks after I became the permanent pastor there, a full-time pastor. Which is really fast. But it, but it can't happen. <laughs> Any other questions? All right. One of the great things about belonging to the Ohio Nature Network is you've got friends all over Ohio. There are churches and pastors uh, that would love to help you. We are in a campaign called All Things for Possible. All, all Things Are Possible uh, for the Ohio for Jesus campaign. We're, we're blessing some folks right now in Florida as a result of this. We're blessing some churches and pastors. Um, but one of the things that we're doing as a result of this is realizing there are many churches that need to get themselves prepared, need to get their house in order. And so we are, we are happy to help you. If you want uh, con consultation, if you'd like for Dan or one of our executive presbyters, and we've got many pastors who've led their churches through successful campaigns. And I'm telling you, if you're, especially if you're new to Ohio, we don't have any pastors who are cloistered in their ivory tower 
we're just so blessed. They would love, they would, they would enjoy and be honored that you would want them to come and share with you. Maybe they would do that first, or maybe you want them to come and share with your board. Here's what, here's what they did. Here's how they got through the process. Uh, please don't feel like you have to do this on your own because you don't. You don't. Uh, there are many people who'd love to help you. So I'd like to pray. Uh, as I do that, can I just see some hands? How many of you um, are, are, are in this room today because uh, a primary concern for you is what Dan mentioned. There's some, there's some nagging debt maybe that you inherited. You just love to get that debt taken care of so you can move forward. All right. Yep. Great. All right. How many of you, uh, it's, it's remodeling, renovating what you currently have that would really be helpful if you could do that. All right. How many of you, it's, it's about a brand new facility. You got to find a new place to be or build a new, right? Okay. How many of you, uh, it's not so much structure as it is uh, ministry and uh, launching new outreaches. Anybody like that? Okay. Right. So all of the above, I'm sure there's others, uh, but I wanted those hands to go up so you realize you are not alone. And the good news is, is that we, we serve a mighty God and he's going to help all of us. And we're going to see lots of prayers. Let's pray for one another. Uh, as we go through these uh, campaigns, as we go through these processes to fund our vision, let's lift each other up in prayer and watch, 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 as one by one by one we begin to hear testimonies of God moving and, and supplying miraculously. Uh, Chuck Davis in the back, he's on a roll right now, so if I were you, I'd kind of rub next to him on your way out. Uh, he, he has an amazing story about the last four weeks of one offering after another after another. Uh, to the point I was tired of getting his phone calls. Like, okay, Chuck, I get it. But there were so many people coming out of the woodwork, unexpected, don't even go to this church to fund uh, an outreach, uh, an opportunity he had to go to Tanzania. And uh, it, it was just amazing, it was a lot of fun. God, we thank you that you have uh, not placed us, uh, you've not brought us all the way from where we were. You've not assigned us to this, this task without already having the plan. You already have the plan on how we're going to be able to reach people and to minister effectively. So Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters across this room right now. We, we pray, Lord God, for those who are believing you, that it, it is your will for them to be free in the name of Jesus, free from that burdensome debt. Lord, we thank you for the miraculous provision to have those burdens lifted in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for vision today, Lord, to uh, re renovate facilities, to get what they currently have more suitable to reach more and more people and to serve their community. Father, we thank you for those who, who have the vision. They are taking such a risk that the building doesn't even exist. It's only in someone's mind. It's only on a piece of paper. And yet you've spoken to them, Lord God. Oh, Father, reward their faith, I pray. Let them go to bed even tonight, Father, with assurance from heaven itself that they are hearing from you. God, we thank you for providing the funds. We thank you for providing the givers. And as we just said, we thank you, Lord God, that not only for this current chapter are you willing and able and desirous to provide, but you want to set us up for the future, for success, so that more vision can be accomplished, that more darkness can be pushed back in our zip codes and communities across the state of Ohio, and more people can find out about the good news of Jesus Christ we thank you, Lord God, for shining your favor on ministries and churches across this state. Thank you, Lord, for giving these pastors, these visionaries, these team members who are here today, the strength, the stamina, the vision, the unity to move forward and to see God do something that only God could do. So only God will receive the glory. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Amen.
God bless you. Thank you for being here today.